So the idea of growing through adversity, it was, as I know many of you, but I shouldn't assume everyone would know, it was a series theme that was a product of a pretty difficult period in my own uh, life. I described that in earlier weeks. But around early 2015, I actually started working this through in my own heart with the Lord. And, and a lot of the, the messages are connected to things that I myself wrestled with and drew strength from. During that time, I was on a medical sabbatical, and I talked again about that for a variety of reasons. So really, the, the genesis of growing through adversity goes all the way back to early 2015. Having said that, uh, the series itself had a meaning, and, and I alluded to this earlier. The idea of growing through adversity had uh, like two sides to it. The one, one initial concept, as you can even see with the, the, on the covers, this whole idea of something growing out or through something. And so we wanted to talk about how can we learn to be a kind of people, especially at a spiritual and emotional level, who are capable of enduring when things get hard. How do we learn to grow in our capacity to persevere when part of us has had a pattern of running away or quitting? How do we, how do we expand our resiliency when things are really hard? See, this is what we talk about growing through the adversity until we can get past it. But what we also said was that there was a whole other way of looking at this theme. And it really was connected. It, on the surface, it looks like the two key words are growing and adversity, and they're very important words. But the word through actually was something that was what stood out because not only was I thinking of the idea of through as getting past something, but I was thinking of the idea of through as being shaped by or because of. So that the idea is that growing is not something, where, you know, the growing comes actually dynamically connected to the difficulty. That is the adversity itself and the difficulty and the suffering and maybe even the pain and the hard, the hard place that we find ourselves in that actually becomes the mechanism for breakthrough in our life. So it's, it's both about getting past something, persevering, tenacity, but also really it's about what God can do and grow in us at these times in our lives, these seasons of our lives, that honestly probably that growth can't come at, at, a very, at other times when maybe things are we're just doing a lot better. There's a unique opportunity that is found in adversity, and that's what we've been exploring and will continue to explore. Now, when it comes to the persevering side of it, I was uh, reminding myself, it was back then in that 215 when uh, I, was at a, I felt at a pretty low point, and my wife, I recall, uh, encouraged me to listen to a message from Bill Hybels Bill Hybels is the, uh, he's an author, he's a great motivational leader, founder of Willow, Willow Creek Church in Chicago, and also the one who is the founder of the GLS, the Global, Global Leadership Summit, which our church actually will be participating in this, uh, this summer as well. And that's really designed for anyone who wants to um, learn how to be a, a marketplace leader or just grow in our leadership capacities, learn how to represent Jesus in, our, in the job place, the marketplace. It's just, it's, it's a, just a great thing that we, we get to be a part of and do together. But Hybels uh, wrote this, and, uh, and he also has shared it in a message. And his message focused on what he called grit. And he was working off of a theme. And he started talking about it. And he, he mentioned this. He, he started trying to talk about how a lot of times we need to stick with things instead of running away from things. And he talked about how to, how to make sure that we don't, don't quit uh, when the going gets tough. 
And that was at a time when things were getting a little harder and it was getting tougher. And I still recall that. And so he called that grit. And he said that uh, passion and perseverance over the long haul is the willingness to play hurt and to expect progress to be, he called it difficult, but to believe it's possible. And then he said this, and I asked if they could put this up. He said, grit development demands difficulty. It requires effort to get over the mountain. And grit grows every time we exercise tenacity and perseverance. Just let that sit for a moment. There are some things that cannot be developed in, in us. It's just like exercising. Um, certain things that only come by learning how to prevail when things are hard. And learning how to let the Lord teach us how to get past things, again, without allowing those things to define us and our attitudes. And he really talked about how we need to shift our, how we view difficulty. And there's a great truth in that, because God really does want us, as we mentioned earlier, to grow, listen, in our endurance capacity. As a follower of Jesus, it's clear that he wants to help us learn how to overcome things and how to prevail. Uh, and, and, and maybe that's why I love reading about achievers. And I, I love reading about people who prevail under very difficult circumstances. They often inspire me. And I, I, I love reading about people who train themselves to push beyond their fears. And, you know, they may or may not even be Christians, but I just love the concept of someone who does that. And I was re remember reading an article. Uh, it was actually in the Wall Street Journal by a writer named Alexander Wolf, And she, she was talking about this unique guy named Alex Hanald. And Alex Hanald is probably one of the most famous rock climbers in the world. He's uh, especially known for what is referred to as free soloing. And uh, if you've never heard what free soloing is, that is he climbs and scales sometimes over 2,000 feet of rock alone, listen, without the help of equipment, ropes, or a partner. Let me say that again. No equipment, no ropes. And in, case, in any case, I was just utterly fascinated by his interview, as we are often are when we hear people share who do incredibly difficult or dangerous things, right? Like that. And by the way, it looks so much bigger because of the lens. Can you imagine that? Um, someone said, no, <laughs> right? <laughs> Cannot. Um, they were talking about him, and uh, they asked him, for example, how he feels knowing that he could die, you know, he could die if he just takes one small misstep. He said, oh, it would be the worst four seconds of my life, all right? I go, oh, my goodness, this guy, all right? But solo climbing, man, it requires great physical strength, but he said he soon realized that it, 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 even more than physical strength, it required mental fortitude. He discovered, this is what he said, he, it was, they wrote this in the article, he said, I discovered that if I had any particular gift, it was a mental one. It was the ability to keep it together in what might otherwise have been a stressful situation. And when you actually look at the guy, they did, uh, someone came up to me after one of the services and said, did you know what else about this guy? I said, no. He goes, the guy's got these incredibly big hands. He goes, like, they have muscles all over his fingers, right? Like he got squished, squished into a door multiple times. The guy was talking to me. And he goes, and you know what else they found? They did a study on his brain. I said, really? He goes, yeah. They, they found that the part that, that I think called the, mag, the magdala says that, that makes fear, he goes, 
his doesn't fire. Like, it doesn't. <laughs> I go, wow. Oh, that is so cool, man. That makes total sense. I believe you. I believe you, I said. All right, in, in, in 2007, he climbed two legendary routes in Yosemite. One was called Ross, Rostrum, the other Astro Man. Within a few years, he was breaking speed records for scaling Yosemite's most challenging wall. Um, he says, which was really interesting, and you'll see this next shot here, he says that his, which is, that's an incredible shot, by the way. I mean, I can't even. I, he says that his focus and awe at the natural landscape usually, now this is interesting, over, they ask him, how, how do you over, overshadow your fear? He says, my awe at the natural landscape often overshadows my fear. And it just got me thinking, you know, how the Lord works in our own lives sometimes, how he wants to teach us not to be dominated by our fears, but to look to him, to, to be in awe of who he is, who I believe is the maker of even the most beautiful things that our eyes behold. He is the master maker of the cathedral. I mean, I love Yosemite, for example, but I always remind myself, like John Muir, that it was the product of a, of a master artist, right? And I, th I think that uh, a lot of times, you know, by the way, when I finished reading the article, I just felt so inspired, as we often do when we witness or read about people who push themselves to the limit, achievers who through sheer grit, determination, um, you know, hard work, fearlessness, conquer things, climb things, they compel us to, Wow, clap our hands, um, shake our heads in amazement, and we hope encourage us to face things in our own that maybe with just a part, a smidgen of the resolve and relentlessness that they exhibit. And maybe that's part of why the Bible tends to remind us about the examples, especially in the Older Testament, of, of men and women who lived a life of faith. They call, you know, if you read the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, especially that 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, it's called the Hall of Faith. And it just goes back and lists different people in the Bible who, like Abraham and Isaac and Sarah and, and you know, people like Moses and others. You can just read about different people in the Older Testament who were examples of, in very difficult situations, modeling heroic faith. And then if you look at the expanse of, of that, it, it, by the time Hebrews 11 is done, it bleeds into Hebrews 12, and it's almost like the writer is saying, all these different examples in the Older Testament are inspiring for us when we find ourselves in a difficult place. And then he says, but don't forget our greatest example. And this is what he writes in Hebrews 12. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded also by so great a cloud of witnesses, that's those people who showed us the examples in the Older Testament, these people of who modeled faith in courageous ways. He says, let us lay aside every weight and, every, and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And then he shifts it to the ultimate hero, the ultimate example, the ultimate model, the one who will help us. He says, and looking unto Jesus, who is the author, the beginner, the originator, and the finisher, the completer of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him showed us how it's done. He endured the cross, went through the pain, went through the suffering, and came out on the other side, despised the shame, threw it off, and now he sat, has sat down at the right hand in the full authority at the throne of God. I mean, this, basically what he's saying is Jesus is the ultimate example. And I truly believe that we are to let the examples of the scriptures, which is why it's important, you guys, to, for us to, to be familiar with the, with the scriptures. And, and I am like firmly embedded in the words of Jesus and the words of the New Testament, but I want to suggest to you that there is value in the Older Testament. I know it's a different culture. 
I know it's a kind of pre-Christ time, but the Older Testament, if you look through its lens, not only does it so much to teach us about how God was moving in the course of humanity, it has so much examples around people who in their own time and space honored God in amazing ways. And so a lot of times I, I believe that their examples and the example of Jesus can inspire us to run our race, whatever that race may be. We need to draw strength from the scriptures and then at the same time practice resilience, learning to endure, trust the one who showed us how it's done. There's no question in my mind that God wants us, listen, to develop grit. I, I believe that. Um, I'm convinced of it. As Heibold's pointed out, grit grows when we, when we exercise tenacity and perseverance. And I am totally for that. But here's the thing. What happens when we, and please do not hear this as anything like an anti-faith or somehow I'm excusing us from striving to give our best or to be strong and courageous. But again, we spent most of our, our time last week talking about this. What happens when we come up against an obstacle that we can't climb or a mountain or even worse, what happens when after even our best effort, we like fail? And in some cases we fail miserably Sometimes even, like Moses did, spectacularly. What happens when we're not able to scale the mountain before us? And when we, unlike Jesus, who is our great inspiration, maybe aren't gritty enough. Maybe we're not obedient enough. Maybe we're not aligned with the Father enough. It's so easy to wander off course, i found, to get ourselves into trouble, to get into addictions, to get locked up in our pain. I mean, sometimes it just feels like we're just like locked up. You know, two of the films, there's the Academy Awards are out, and two of the films are nominated for best film. And by the way, I, one of the, the actors in these two films is probably going to win the, the best actor award. But Denzel Washington in, in, the, in the film Fences, and then I think it's Casey Affleck in the Manchester by the Sea. Now, both those films are very interesting films because they capture in so many ways a person who's just utterly locked up. In one case, there's a slightly, fences, there's a slightly redemptive Christian component to it. In, in Manchester by the Sea, where we see a man utterly locked up in grief, there's almost no redemptive component. And even the way that the way of Christ is presented is very one-dimensional. It seemed to me to miss the very thing that it could offer, which I don't, I'm not mad at the culture. I, I understand why sometimes it's, it's, it, they don't understand what the Lord can do. And in both those films, you see two, you see individuals just locked up in their pain. One's built a fence. The fence becomes, it, it's symbolic of something, right? He's built a wall around. He's, he's felt injustice and, and a life of unfairness. And as a result, he's all locked up. Both these amazingly good men locked up in their pain. And the other has experienced tremendous tragedy and is like literally imprisoned himself in his grief. And I, I think about how people can get, we can get ourselves locked up emotionally. We have different levels, of course. Moses' case, he was, he was pretty, probably pretty defined by his failure. We talked about this last week. You read the book of Exodus, Moses thinks he's going to be the deliverer of, the, of his people. He finally comes to a point in his life as a relatively younger man in his strength where he's going to make the move and save his people. He feels the call. He responds with courage. He ends up doing something. He fights for his people. They end up rejecting him. He has to run from Egypt like a, like a, you know, 
a fugitive who's banned from ever coming back. He loses everything and doesn't even get the gratitude of the very people he risked it all for. Thinking he heard from God, he, he lives the next four decades of his life alone as a shepherd in the wilderness. Yes, over time, he's settled into a different kind of life, life in the desert. He's, he's gotten married. He has two sons. He tends sheep as, as a way of, of living, oftentimes alone. But then there was a day when something happened, and I put this in the, in the hand. Of, oh, and watch, watch kind of what happens here, because we talked about this. Um, watch, we're about to read through this. Watch how Moses, who I think is holding on to his own kind of wound, and maybe some of us can relate to that. Maybe, maybe we can relate to having things that are particularly difficult for us that we're trying to work through. And, we, and it's like we just kind of got defined by it or stuck in it. Watch how Moses struggles to move forward. Watch how reluctant he is to do something that God is asking him to do. Watch how little confidence he has, right? How he tries to evade, ironically, with tenacity, the Lord's appeal. This is a totally different kind of tenacity. All right, Exodus 3, 1 through 10, is in your handout. One day, Mo I'm just going to read through it fairly quickly. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock far into the wilderness, and he came to Sinai. It was the mountain of God. It's a place where the Lord's presence would often dwell. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush, and Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. He, he'd never seen anything like it. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I got to go see. Is that what I think it is? I got to go see that. He makes his way over there. The Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look. God called to him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you're standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And when Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look, to look at God. And the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land, a land of milk and honey. And that land where presently the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, and Perizzites, these different tribes, Hivites and Jebusites, now live. Now look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, my people Israel, out of the land of Egypt. Now I want to pick up here at verse 11. We're going to scroll this through. Watch how Moses responds to God's amazing invitation. Again, to do what he had wanted to do many years earlier. But it says here, but Moses, notice this, protested to God. Well, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who, who, who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? You got the wrong guy. I'm not that guy. And God answered, well, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you, you're going to worship God at this very mountain. That's what's going to happen. I'm telling you ahead of time. But Moses, there it is again, protested. Oh, no, no, If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, oh, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they, they're going to ask, well, what is his name? What authority do you come in? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. The I am, the self-existent one, has sent you. 
going on in verse, chapter 4, verse 1, but Moses protested again. We see a pattern here, don't we? What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? The Lord asked him, well, what is in your hand? My, well, a shepherd's staff, my staff. By the way, that staff wasn't just anything. It represented something for him. By the way, when you're a shepherd that many years, that staff becomes not only a, like a third leg for you, but it becomes a weapon, an extension of your arm. It is everything. In many ways, it is your identity and your power. And when the Lord says to him, throw that down, it's, it's even more significant. And the Lord said, what is in your hand? I said, my shep a shepherd's staff. Throw it down on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw down the staff, and it turned into a, a snake, and Moses jumped back. And then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it, and then turned, it turned back into a shep shepherd's staff again in his hand. And performed this sign, the Lord told him, and they will believe that the Lord, the God of the, their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, really has appeared to you. And then the Lord said, Moses, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out again, his hand was white, white as snow, like if it was leprosy, skin disease. And he says, now I want you to put your hand back in. And when he, when he took it out again, it was as healthy as the rest of his body. Now, go, oh, go back then and see. Look at that on your hand out there. And then it says, now what happens next? Verse 10, Moses, but you would think, okay, by the way, you would think, just saying, you see this bush burning, it's not being consumed, God's talking to you, you throw down the staff, turns into something, you put your hand in there, comes out this way, you would think that I'm doing what you want me to do, you got the power, right? But Moses pleaded with the Lord, oh Lord, now see how complete and comprehensive his wound is how his sense of failure has utterly altered his confidence that not even the miraculous power of God seems enough. Oh, Lord, you know what? I'm not very good with words. I just remembered this. I, 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 I never have been, right? I am I, I, not even now. I, I can't even talk. I, even though you have spoken to me, I, I get, I get tongue-tied. And my words, they get all tangled up. I'm not good. I'm not good. I've been speaking to sheep for 40 years, right? <laughs> I'm not that good at it. I mean, I know what it's going to take. I've been there before. I did that once. That's like way back there. I, I'm not your guy. You gotta, you gotta find. Well, who? You gotta find somebody else. The Lord asked Moses, "Well, who makes a person's mouth? And who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? This is not I, the Lord. I, now, now go. I will be with you as you speak. I will instruct you in what you say, and what to say. But then again, I love this." But Moses pleaded, oh, Lord, please, would you send somebody else, anybody else? I don't want to do it. Please, somebody else. I'm not your guy. I'm not, that's not who I am anymore. And then the Lord became angry with Moses. All right, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? Now I know he speaks well. Look, he's on his way to meet you now. He'll be delighted to see you. Basically, Moses makes God mad. He lost, why? Because he had lost his confidence. 
What a contrast to the pre-failure Moses before he couldn't even restrain himself. I'm your man. Now he can't be persuaded. See, that's what failure will do to us. That's what defeats in our lives do do to us. And here's some things to sit with in just the few minutes that we have left. Let me put this one up there. Sometimes our brokenness, listen, is true. This is true. If it hasn't happened in our lives, great. But perhaps it's happened in an area of our lives. But sometimes our brokenness is so profound that even knowing what God can do doesn't seem to be enough. Our wounds so deeply embedded blunts out our confidence and inhibits our ability to really trust God's word over our lives. Do you see that? Now, we might believe it theoretically, but sometimes there are certain areas where we have a hard time really trusting the Lord in it because the pain that we have felt, the devastation we have felt, the struggle we have felt around it means that it's so hard for us to want to move forward in this area. And there's a part of us that believes that God can't do it. Now, in the films I refer to, especially one of them, there was no, the, the, the solution, there was no solution. It was just live out your life in pain and allow that to define you. And here's the thing, I have come to believe that God is the master healer and he can, he can take things and bring life into them. And, but again, I understand that some of us Some things are so deep, listen, they're so deep, they hurt so bad that it's hard to get free. And sometimes, even when we start to see a little progress, we find ourselves with just enough pressure falling right back. And some might say to us, well, because remember, we're all different, right? We all have had different experiences. So so I always say this, right, that... Someone might, you might, I might, I might see what you're going through, right? And, you, and I might go, wow, yeah, that's, that's tough, but it, that's not that tough for me. Others of us, like, you might see something happening in my life and go, oh, come on, get over that. Like, what's, it's okay, you're fine. Just, you know, toughen up. What is it, doing that, growing through adversity series? What's wrong with you? Come on, persevere. You know, but there might be areas in our lives that are so unique to us that for us, we're very weak. It's, it's, it's hard for us. Other people, it may be nothing, but for us, it's hard. It, it, it represents pain. Again, I, I think how, how easily we can get ourselves emotionally locked up in certain ways, how there are certain areas we struggle with that other people maybe, maybe do, but maybe don't. But it's because of the uniqueness of what we've walked through or the situation we find ourselves in. And a lot of times in those places, one of our real struggles is, listen, is to trust that God, who we do believe, does amazing things, can meet us in this place and help us. It's almost like, you know what? It, it, sometimes in these weak zones that define us, they can cause us to doubt God. And, and like Moses, okay, not only is he doubting God, listen to me, see it, he's kind of resisting him. It's almost like the Lord is, and I love this. You see it, you see it, I know you do. Two, God, in spite of that, will work with us. Do you see the divine humility? I I look at that and I go, first off, he actually allows Moses to bargain with him and even makes a concession. The tenderness of the Lord astonishes me. His willingness to meet us in our struggle astonishes me. 
how he will work with us to move forward gently, firmly, sometimes with a nudge. He doesn't force us against our will, but he will help us get there. Right? I was thinking of Jesus. This is what they said of Jesus. It talked about how even in his ministry, we characterize by this. It says a bruised reed in Matthew 12, 20. A bruised reed he will not break. Look at this. And a smoking flax, a flickering candle, a, a little end of a, of a part of the oil lamp that has dried up and burnt out. He will not quench it until he sends forth the wick that is about ready to totally die out, has no oil, just burnt up. He will not quench it till he sends forth justice to victory. This is the picture of what the Lord does in our lives. Listen, the bruised reed is a reed that is no longer really, it's, it's been damaged. It got bruised. As a result, it can't hold the weight. It's bent. Can't be what it was meant to be. Some, all, some of us have deep bruises. But the Lord doesn't just toss that out. See, others, others would, but not the Lord. A lot of times, that is exactly the thing that God uses to become a testimony of his, of his amazing capacity to work with us in our place of greatest woundedness. It's in our place of greatest weakness that his grace often shows forth in its most amazing and astonishing and humbling ways. See, that's that place, that, right? That place that we're talking about. He doesn't, he doesn't cast out the bruised reed. He doesn't throw it out. He doesn't toss it out. And that smoking little ember that's still there, he, he fans it into a flame that is, is capable of bringing light and warmth again. What others would cast off, he uses. And that's such a great reminder for us, right? I mean, look at that. I put this in the handout there. You see that little quotation there. It says, what's more feeble than a cracked reed or, or a wick that's just flickering? And yet he reckons neither as useless. He allows for possibilities of improvement. His treatment of the behavior he was weakest and, so to speak, least alive is marked by long suffering and gentleness. And I remember reading that when I was fe feeling really hurt. And I remember reading this and I started getting my, I remember my eyes started getting damp because I thought, oh, Lord, um, I thank you for your grace, your help. help. Help me not to quit or to be discouraged too long. Because, Lord, what you're reminding me is that if, 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 if you are with us, hope is never far from us. I just need to keep you close, right? And that leads me to this last thought, which is this, that our limitations need not limit what God can do in and through us. Do you understand? Do we understand? He takes broken and flawed things. Listen to me. Moses was going to learn this. He takes the broken and the flawed, the fearful and the limited and plays his best music through them. Can we hear it? Can you hear the song? You know what it's called? The Song of Grace. And that song is a song he wants to sing over all of our lives. It's a song of goodness. It's a song of his love at work in us. God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And, his work, and as his work with Moses teaches us that if anything... It's at least in part, spiritually speaking, that when we are at our weakest, that in some ways we are most usable and strongest. When we are most usable and, and in a sense most vulnerable, it's actually at the moments when we're most dependent that God can do his most amazing things in it. 
It's an extraordinary dichotomy, a paradox of sorts. It may require a burning bush of sorts to get our attention, I agree, and a little persuasion to get us moving. But when all seems lost, or is being lost, or bleak, or despairing, he may actually have us exactly where he wants us. Because now he can show up in, in ways that would have otherwise never happened. And I'm just saying, we don't need to be defined by things. You know what? We'll close with this prayer. All right? Together. I'll read it through. And we're going to have our time of giving and our closing song in a moment. And Lord, sometimes, like Moses, I know this is true, our wounds are so profound, so deeply a part of us, that we have a hard time believing your words over our lives. Sometimes, Lord, our struggle is so real again, in ways that maybe other people do not see, understand. I'm not saying that in any proud or arrogant way. It's just in those places where it's hard for us, maybe uniquely hard for us. Help me to remember that you're not offended by our weaknesses. Our feebleness only inspires your faithfulness. How thankful I am, how truly thankful I am. Lord, I ask that hope would rise within me. In Jesus' name, I pray this. We pray this in your name, Lord. Amen.